Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Exodus, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. If you are a history person, you're going to love tonight. As always, I like to lay a good historical background when I start a book, and uh, we're going to do that tonight. So if you're a history person, particularly uh, Egyptian history, uh, you are really going to really enjoy tonight. So hang on. First things first, let me just tell you, the book of Exodus is a picture book. It's a picture book. It has been said that every principle found in the New Testament is by way of picture from the Old Testament. Every principle found in the New Testament is by way of picture in the Old Testament. Principles in the New Testament are illustrated in the Old Testament. This book is a book of many lessons, many lessons and many pictures. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 11 and 12, it reads this. Now all these things happened to them in the Old Testament as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take what, saints? He lest he fall. First Corinthians chapter 10 simply says this. The things that we see in the book in the Old Testament happened to Israel, and they are given to us, believers, the church, as an example that we might learn from them. That we might look at the Bible, you see the Bible is very practical for everyday life, so that we might read the scriptures, particularly the first five books in the Old Testament, and that we would look at the things that Israel has done, look at the things that they've done well, look at the things that they've done wrong, and that we might learn from them. And they might be examples unto us. Listen, you are a smart person if you can look at the things that someone else has done and learn from it. And if someone's done a bunch of things that are just not good and not right, not smart, and mistakes that they've made, then you look at that and you say, you know, I don't want to do that. That's not something I want to do. So then as we read the New Testament, as we as believers study the scriptures, we're to look at the Old Testament according to 1 Corinthians 10 because these things were written and given as examples to us. So it is a book of many, many lessons. The word exodus means exit. It means exit. It means to go out. Just like on the freeway, you see a sign that says exit. You go off. You go out. It means to exit, literally means to exit. And, and it also means like it speaks to the marching of an army or a solemn procession. The exit, the exodus. Now, most people say 
And most people believe that Moses is the author of the book. And believe it or not, even as we look at the New Testament over and over and over again, Jesus in the book of Matthew references the book of Exodus and clearly references the fact that Moses is the author of the book of Exodus. But there are some people who have no life, who, who want to sit around in their ivory towers and discuss and debate on who wrote the book. Listen, if Jesus said Moses is the author of the book of Exodus, I think Jesus is right. Amen. Somebody else say amen. amen. Who wrote the book? Jesus said Moses wrote it. That's good enough for me. If Jesus thinks it's right, then it's right. Say amen, saints. Amen. That's right. So it's a book of many lessons. Now, there are some great themes. Here's what I love about this book. There are some great themes in the book of Exodus. Great themes. The book of Exodus is a story of redemption. It's a story of redemption. The book begins 350 years after the book of Genesis. Joseph has died and Israel is in Egypt as slaves to the Egyptians. It's a book of redemption. The book of Exodus is also a story of God's providence. God's providence. You know, the word providence actually is a pretty interesting word. It comes from two words, pro meaning beforehand and video meaning to see in advance. Beforehand and video to see in advance. It literally means providence means that God sees the events before they happen. So he can weave those events of history together supernaturally natural. That's providence. God sees the world before it happens. God is outside of eternity. So God sees all of history in one video, if you will. And thus God can orchestrate, maneuver, and manipulate the events of history to bring forth his purpose and his plan. That's how prophecy is fulfilled, you understand. That's God's providence. God's providence. You know, I, I love that. I love to think about God's providence. Because saints, listen closely. We can take great comfort, great comfort in the fact that God is not out of control. And I am amazed at how many people get caught up in Satan's power to destroy versus the Savior's power to deliver. We don't have to get caught up in Satan's power to destroy. We need to be caught up in God's power, the Savior's power to deliver. That's what we see in the book of Exodus. Not only is it a book of redemption and a book of providence, but it's also a book or a story of the miraculous. Over and over and over again, you see how God intervenes supernaturally. That's different than providence, by the way. Providence speaks of that which is supernaturally natural. God takes the human experience and supernaturally, naturally weaves things together to bring about a certain event. That's God's providence. But a miracle is just supernatural. God simply involves himself supernaturally in the affairs of men. For example, manna from heaven. That doesn't happen every day. That would be a miracle. Water from a rock. We'll see all this in the book. That would be a miracle. When's the last time you've seen a rock giving out water? 
money from a tree. <laughs> you say your kids, what do you think I'm made of money? You think I got money hanging off trees? Well, if you did, that would be a miracle. <laughs> Amen, parents. So the book of Exodus is a book of miracles over and over. You're going to enjoy that. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book of miracles. It's also a book or a story of sacrifice. The book of Exodus is a story of sacrifice. We'll see that sacrifice begins in this book and it goes through the entire Bible until the Bible ends in the book of Revelation. Chapter 12 is the Passover and it's instituted. It's wonderful. You'll love that. The book of Exodus is a story of worship, story of redemption and God's providence and the miraculous and sacrifice and worship. It's a story of worship. And the book of Exodus is a story of ethics and human behavior. Or we'll find that with the Ten Commandments as they are given on Mount Sinai. The book of Exodus is a story of the office of the prophets. Moses isn't only a deliverer, he is also a prophet. He's God's mouthpiece to the nation. He's a prophet. The book of Exodus is a story of the priesthood. The priesthood. As God raised up a group of men who will represent God to the people and the people to God. So, there are some great, great themes in this book that we're going to take a look at over the next several months. Now, before we jump into chapter 1, verse 1, let me set this up. Listen closely. This is how the story begins. Abraham and Sarah had a son named who? Isaac. You know that. Isaac had two sons, and their names were Jacob and Esau. You know that. God chose Jacob to bring forth the descendants to inherit the promise. And God renamed Jacob to what? Israel. Israel. Very good. Israel had how many sons? Twelve. His favorite son was who? Joseph. And of course, Joseph's brothers became jealous. And in Genesis 37, they stole him, or pardon me, they sold him to the Midianite slave traders. The Midianites took Joseph to Egypt and they sold him. And while in Egypt, he was falsely accused of attempted rape and Joseph was thrown in prison. While in prison, you know the story, God gave him the interpretation of another prisoner's dream. The Pharaoh of Egypt had two dreams. The cupbearer who was in prison with Joseph said, hey, Pharaoh, while I was in prison, there was a guy, Joseph, who interprets dreams. Joseph was brought in and interpreted the Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh was so impressed that he made Joseph second in command in all of Egypt. Nine years later, during the famine, his brothers, 11 brothers, needed to buy some food. You know the story. They came to Egypt and they didn't know who they were talking to. They didn't realize that they were talking to their brother Joseph. When Joseph revealed himself, they said, "Uh uh-oh, we're busted. We're in trouble. And Joseph said what? I love this. He says, don't worry. He says, God has sent me before you to preserve your life. And then he went on to say, you meant it for evil, but what saints? God meant it for good. I love that. And then he forgave them. And he said, bring Israel and all the families here to Egypt to live. 
And it's at this point that the saga continues from Genesis into the book of Exodus. With that said, Exodus chapter 1, we pick up in verse 1. Saints, if you're with me, say amen. amen. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were, how many saints? Seventy persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already, and Joseph died. All of his brothers and all of that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now, in verse 8. Underline it, highlight it, we got to talk about it. There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Stop right there. Give me your attention. The book opens with, these are the names of the children of Israel who came into Egypt. Now listen, the book of Exodus begins where Genesis ends, as I pointed out. At Joseph's invitation, all the sons of Israel came to Egypt with their families. Counting Joseph, there was a total of 70 people who were descendants of Israel. The years passed, Joseph and his brothers died. But the Israelites, the Bible says, were fruitful and they increased. In Hebrew, the word in the Hebrew text, the word and in verse 7 is before each of these adjectives. So it's they increased, you want to notice in your Bibles, they increased and they increased and they multiplied and they grew exceedingly mighty and the land was filled with them. Now, take notes, Genesis chapter 47 verse 27 says this, so Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen and they had possessions there and they grew and multiplied exceedingly. In the area of Goshen. Just like God said, don't you remember? God said to Abraham, he said he would multiply his descendants like the sand of the sea. Here we see that already coming to fruition. God is multiplying them. They are growing mighty. They are increasing. They are becoming fruitful. Well, listen, in verse 8, There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, during the time that Joseph was alive and governor, pardon me, in Egypt, seems to be somewhere around, if you're taking notes, the 13th dynasty. The 13th dynasty. Now, I need you to give me your undivided attention. You need to listen very close because I want to give you a little bit of history here. A little Egyptian history. I spent a couple days uh, learning some things. And uh, this is pretty interesting, I found out. During the 13th and 18th dynasty, through the 18th dynasty, there was a dynasty that ruled called the Hyksos dynasty or the Shepherd Kings. Perhaps you've heard of them. The Hyksos, if you're taking notes, is H-Y-K-S-O-S, H-Y-K-S-O-S, the Hyksos dynasty. The Hyksos were 
Semitic people from the region of West Asia. These guys were foreigners. They were barbaric. They were invaders who, when they came into Egypt, they took over the land. And they actually took over the land pretty much without a fight. Now, because the Hyksos were Semitic and they were shepherd kings, they welcomed Semitic people and they welcomed shepherds, which then would explain why Joseph could rise to power as a governor. Remember, he was a shepherd. Well, that explains that. Well, the Hyksos were very intelligent. They were very skilled. They were very learned. It was during the reign of Joseph that they moved forward a lot of construction and growth and learning. It was during this time that Israel grew as a nation. And it's also during this time that Israel learned a lot about agriculture. They also learned about writing. They learned a lot about science. They learned a lot about geometry. They learned many things as they became a nation. Now you fast forward to the 18th dynasty. An Egyptian king named Amis. Amis. Taking notes. A-A-H-M-E-S. Amis came to power. And this is the king in verse 8 that knew not Joseph. King Amis. Now here's what happens historically as we fast forward a bit through history, okay? Here's what happens historically. Apparently, Egypt comes to power again and takes over. King Amis has a successor. His name is Thutmose II. Thutmose II. Thutmose II has a wife. Her name is Hatshepsut. No, I didn't sneeze. Hatshepsut is her name. Thamiz II, he dies suddenly, possibly in the Red Sea. He doesn't have a son that we know of, possibly because the angel of the Lord killed the firstborn. His wife, Hatshepsut, becomes Pharaoh, often wearing men's clothing, often pictured in illustrations with a beard. This woman has some issues. Girl, you got issues. <laughs> Wearing men's clothes, a beard in some of her pictures. She's a female ruler in Egypt, and she proclaims herself to be God. She reigned for 20 years. During those 20 years, there was peace, there was prosperity, there was building. She built an incredible, magnificent temple to herself. At some point, her stepson, the Third, hated her and wanted to reclaim the throne. He led a revolt. He kills Hatshepsut and... Her shrines and statues are mutilated. It was at that time that Thutmose III, get this, he goes on a rampage in Canaan land because he thought that's where the children of Israel had gone. Instead, get this, the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, they made a right and they went into the wilderness. Thutmose III is in hot pursuit of the children of Israel. He thought they went into Canaan. He made a left and went into Canaan. So Thutmose now, he thinks that the children of Israel has gone into Canaan. He goes into Canaan, and he completely, I mean, this was one bad dude. He completely wipes out the Phoenicians, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Amorites, all the other ites. He wipes them all out. 
And by the time the children of Israel get to Canaan, 40 years later, there are these small Canaanite cities with walls to protect themselves. That's why when the children of Israel got into the promised land to, to fight against their enemies, there were many, many walled cities. That's why, because they had sought to protect themselves because of Thutmose III who came in and whooped them. And so they were protecting themselves. So by the time the children of Israel get there, the Canaanites are scared because they have been whooped by Thutmose III and they figure if he beats us and Israel beats him, we are really in trouble. Now keep in mind, from Egypt to Canaan, was an 11-day trip. Do you realize that Israel could have been, they, they, it took them 40 years, you know that. They could have been in Canaan enjoying the blessings and the promise and the fruitful land and the big old grapes and the land flowing with milk and honey. They could have been blessed beyond measure within two weeks. Coming out of Egypt, which Egypt is a type of the world. Within two weeks, it took them 40 years to get into Canaan. You know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I will. <laughs> you know, isn't it a picture of a lot of believers? Amen. We could, you could be in the promised land, enjoying the blessings of God, enjoying the fruitfulness of, of a walk that is spirit-filled. Because by the way, Canaan does not represent heaven. I know that we sing about Canaan land representing heaven, and especially a lot of old Negro spirituals. And they sound nice, but they're not biblical. Canaan does not represent heaven. Why? Because there's still enemies in the land. And the Bible says in heaven, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no enemies in heaven. You understand that? Say amen. There's no enemies in heaven. But in Canaan land, there's still enemies, enemies to be driven out. So in type, Canaan cannot represent heaven. But Canaan in type represents the spirit-filled life of the believer. Canaan represents the time in your life as a Christian where you could be strong in the Lord and walking with God and being used of God and enjoying the blessings of God. And that doesn't have to happen over a long period of time. It doesn't have to take you 40 years to enjoy God's blessings. But some folks just want to mosey on into the spirit-filled life. Treating your Christianity as if, you know, well, I'm getting there. Man, if you want to be a strong Christian and used of God, you've got to be in hot pursuit of God. You've got to be in hot pursuit of the things of God. And, and, and I love to see Christians who, were, who just gave their life to Christ, and a year later, they're strong in the Lord. And two years later, they're even yet stronger. And three years later, God's already calling them and using their lives. Remember Paul? Talked about in the book of Acts. Why is it we think, oh, you're a baby Christian when you're three? Look, look, the same principle does not really apply. Like, you don't have to go through, I mean, you do and you don't. Go through the baby, toddler, you know, little person, teen person, adult teen person, I think. Adult, you know, you, know, you can go through that. Spiritually, you can go through that process very, very quickly. And how do you get through it, Rodney? Your knowledge of the Word of God. And you're studying the scriptures. 
and knowing God and walking with God and being in hot pursuit of the things of God. So it took Israel 40 years to accomplish something that they could have accomplished within two weeks. You understand? Say amen. So, now I give you all this history about the Hyksos and the Egyptian kings. I give you all this history because the interesting thing, we talked about God's providence, how God is able to see everything, you know, as a whole. And, and, and we talk about God's providence. Now, now here you can see that, that God is always working behind the scenes. Check this out. Even while they were in Egypt, God was using that time of slavery and bondage in Egypt to teach his people, the nation of Israel, the things that they're going to need to know so that they can survive as a people. Isn't that amazing? So God is always, I guess I tell you that to tell you this, that God is always, always, always working behind the scenes, even when things seem bleak. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.